0: you positive heads out there thanks for tuning your beautiful brainwaves into another episode of the positive head podcast which i'm excited to say is now airing five days a week once a week you'll still hear an exciting interview with a different consciousness change maker that is out there working tirelessly to help catalyze change and expand awareness all across spaceship earth and man, do we have some truly amazing authors, directors, artists, scientists, and entrepreneurs on the schedule that are going to absolutely blow your mind in the forthcoming episodes by delving deeply down the ever-expanding rabbit hole of mind-bending topics such as spirituality, the ultimate nature of reality, psychedelics, cutting-edge scientific exploration, and even by convincing my guests to share their intimate personal stories of synchronicity and magical par- Paranormal experiences. Now, in addition to those weekly interviews, on the other four weekdays, you can tune in to myself and my co host, Dalian, giving interpretations of our favorite thought provoking quotes, sharing a bit of mind expansive news, taking questions from you, the audience, and digging into any other stimulating topics that are worthy of discussion. So if any of that super boring stuff sounds up your alley for some unknown reason, be sure to check out our archive of past shows and also subscribe to our email newsletter and we'll send you updates whenever we release a brand new Positive Head podcast. Of course, if you have an iTunes account, subscribe to the podcast for free there. And please give us a good rating while you're at it. Good ratings and reviews on iTunes are the holy grail when it comes to getting exposure in this Apple-filled world we all live in. So if you take five seconds out of your precious time to give us a star rating on iTunes, we'll be extremely grateful and forever in your debt. And for all of you who have ever taken it a step further and helped us in our goal of spreading the positivity by sharing our podcast on social media with your friends and family, it's because of you we have such a rapidly expanding listener base and that we've even been recently featured as a, you know, what's hot podcast in iTunes. So a big, big thank you to every single one of you who've shared out there on social media If you haven't helped us to spread the positivity by telling your friends uh, about the Positive Head podcast on social media, we really hope you'll consider doing so. You can easily do it by clicking the share buttons under the podcast player. And I tell you what I'll do. If you do share us on social media, drop me an email through the site. Let me know you've done it. As a way of saying thank you, I'll personally have glamour shots made of my beautiful co-host Dalian and I'll send one to you. Even if just one person takes me up on this offer, I'll honor this crazy offer. I'll have Dalian uh, go have glamour shots made. I'll even have him autograph it for you before I mail it out. So share us on social media. You guys don't want to miss out on this limited edition collector's item glamour shot of Dalian. Who knows? It could be worth millions of dollars one day. All right, all you positive heads out there on this week's podcast, it is a very special one for me indeed. I am absolutely thrilled to have one of the founding board members of Black Rock City LLC here to talk with me. Now, in case you haven't figured it out already by the name Black Rock City, this is the organization that produces what many people, including myself, consider to be one of the most transformative events to ever grace the surface of our planet. You guessed it, I'm talking about none other than Burning Man, and on this episode, I will be speaking with Marion Goodell, who, in addition to being a founding board member, is also the current CEO of the Burning Man organization. So she'll be here with me to discuss all things Burning Man, so if I sound like I'm smiling from ear to ear during this podcast, well, that's because I am. (laughs) Hello, Marion. Welcome to the show.
1: Hi. Welcome. Thank you so much, Brandon.
0: Oh, It's so so great to have you here. I've been looking forward to this for quite some time. And, um, you know, uh, I'll jump right in. And in this podcast, we're going to focus primarily on answering questions that relate to the existing burner community. However, you know, for my listeners who aren't uh, really that familiar with the event, can you give the best possible uh, Marian description of an event that is considered by most to be indescribable?
1: Oh, gosh. Um, <clears throat> well, it's, um, I consider it a, an exercise in temporary community where mm-hmm. we encourage people to engage in radical self-reliance and radical self-expression. But to do that in the context of working with others, so that looks like civic responsibility and communal effort. And along the way, we expect people to leave no trace because there are no trash cans at Burning Man. And so you need to take everything away that you that you brought with it. And um, it's a place where you really it's a very immediate experience. And the way that people uh, really connect is through through gifting. Um, So it's not like any normal festival. We don't even call it a festival.
0: Right, right. Now, on, on the website homepage uh, is the definition uh, of a burner. Uh, and it says a citizen of the worldview that is Burning Man may be encountered everywhere. Uh, what is that worldview? And, and, you know, maybe you could touch on that in a, a few of the 10 principles.
1: Well, um, I think the worldview of Burning Man really is sort of a, it can be very personal for people. It really isn't mm-hmm. something that's prescribed or forced. Um, There is the 10 guiding principles that I think if one gets exposed to them or has experience to them, it becomes sort of easy to look at them and adopt them. Um, Typically, when all 10 of them are together, you'll sort of you'll find yourself in a Burning Man type experience. Right.
0: Um,
1: And those are those include the things I was just mentioning, like gifting and leave no trace, uh, but also radical self-expression and radical Mm self-reliance. Right. And participation, immediacy. Those are part of the ways in which we sort of can find that we're in a Burning Man experience and then communal effort and Mm -hmm. civic responsibility. Uh, all of those, when you wrap them together, um, bring about this sense of connection with other people, um, and the way that you communicate
0: changes. Right. Very nice. Very nice. Now, uh, each year there's a different theme as well. And this year it is uh, Carnival of Mirrors, correct? Yes. What what is the concept behind, you know, having a theme in general and, you know, of course this year being Carnival of Mirrors? Can you can you speak a little bit on that?
1: Well, the themes are what we use in Black Rock City, um, which is, of course, one of the versions of Burning Man. And so annually, the Black Rock City has a theme. That theme gives people an opportunity to focus on something and aim for something. They, it is, uh, it's different every year. Um, this year, Carnival of Mirrors is about the self and the reflection and um, taking a look at our times um, and you know how we engage with it. Um, it's kind of a fun theme, but it's kind of a serious theme. Uh, the masks of the self. Um, right? yeah.
0: Now you also mentioned Burning Man is not a festival. It's a catalyst for creative culture in the world is uh, something that I saw there on the site. Uh, what is the difference between Burning Man and a typical festival?
1: Yeah. Well, you're quoting a tagline on a website. Everybody's always looking for um, 10 words or less. So that's the one that they, the website. Um, right. Yeah. It's kind of funny. It doesn't always fit, but it's some, it fits well enough. Uh, you know, a festival for many people is a place where you can, um, sort of celebrate with other people. Um, I think the sort of the old term of that would be definitely a gathering place amongst communities. But the word now sort of means stages and uh, food vendors um, and having things uh, sort of your comforts are more taken care of. Um, We're definitely not at all interested in providing a typical festival atmosphere. Um, We're definitely interested in providing a environment where people have, uh, a sense of themselves amongst others. Um, and that's not like a typical festival.
0: Definitely not. Definitely not. Yeah. For those of you who haven't been to Bernie Manor or don't know much of it, you know, it's in the middle of, uh, the desert in Nevada and its radical self-reliance, as uh, Marion uh, mentioned a moment ago. So you bring everything with you. There's nothing there uh, except, I think, ice and coffee, right, that can be purchased. And right. <laughs> so if you come Normal to.
1: Normal festivals you have trash cans and we don't have trash cans.
0: Right, we don't sell, right.
1: We don't sell any water now and many of the festivals actually give free water. Um, So what's coming up for people at Burning Man is completely different. And that's why we really don't want to use the word festival so that people don't expect it to be the same and that they ask themselves, well, what is it I'm going there for?
0: Yeah, that, that makes a lot of sense. And what's uh, so amazing about it is the fact that you have, you know, 60, 70,000 people in the middle of the desert with no trash cans. And there's not, you, you don't see any trash laying around. It, it really is. I've been to festivals, you know, a 10th of that size and, and, and trash everywhere with cans, you know, sitting next to the can. So it really is. It's about,
1: it's about a, setting expectations too. In that case, we're really proud of that fact. If there was one trash can, then everybody would put their trash down by it. And I remind people that in their own camps, particularly if they have a public area, that they shouldn't put a trash can, even if it's for the campmates, they shouldn't hide their trash cans um, because we don't want people to get lazy. Uh, I've gotten to the point now, you know, when I carry a backpack, if I have a can or a cup, I put it back in my backpack. I don't go to somebody's camp and say, oh, where's your trash? Uh, The goal is, you know, you're, you're conscious about what you're bringing to it. Um, and that's a really big one. That's one that's easy to carry back into your normal life. I think once you go to Burning Man and, and you experience no trash cans, uh, you find yourself, every little wrapper that you take off of something, you wonder where it's going to go after it leaves your hands.
0: Absolutely. Yeah, you definitely would feel a lot uh, stranger uh, throwing it on the ground. <laughs> <laughs> right. right. They carry
1: uh, their little tins for their cigarettes with mm. them. Um, we. It's really kind of amazing. The organization does not... Uh, pay anybody to keep the the grounds clean whatsoever. Um, when the event is done, we do have a crew that begin to remove all the large items off the surface, and then mm-hmm. we move towards uh, what's smaller. But during the event, there's not any individual that is told, either volunteer or paid, to do cleanup. That's expected um, of the participants.
0: Yeah, right, right. So that gives a little taste for those of you who aren't familiar with the event. Now I want to switch gears a little bit and kind of jump into some of the um, some of the obstacles and so forth that obviously for you guys to create this amazing container. You know, it's it's one of the biggest cities in the state of Nevada for that week, correct? Like the third or fourth biggest city. Am am I saying that right?
1: Sure. Some people consider it like, I don't know five, four, five, something like that. Yeah. We're, yeah. we're 70,000 people. So that's not small.
0: No, that's not small. So if you can imagine creating something from nothing for a week, you know, that, that operates as smoothly as Burning Man does, there's been a lot of work and uh, blood, sweat and tears that have uh, been, Absolutely. you know, sacrificed to get there. And, yeah. uh, the first burn was in, uh, 1986 in San Francisco and then moved to the desert. And so, uh, what I would like to do is just cover a little bit of some of the the obstacles that you've had to overcome, and and, and of course, what are some of the current things that are concerns uh, among the Burning Man community? Uh, of course, there's been a lot of debate over the last few years about the plug and play camps, and you know what some refer to as uh, billionaires' row, uh, where you have more and more of these very wealthy, uh, you know, burners coming in, and, and and they have everything set up for them. Uh, for for them, uh, you know, many are saying that they violate the Burning Man principles of radical inclusion and radical self-reliance and, and participation. W- what are your thoughts on on this?
1: Well, you, you left me with a lot of questions there. First of all, you asked about some of the challenges that we face in doing Burning Man. Um, mm-hmm. The challenges are pretty wide and they vary. Um, some of the challenges are to actually explain what Burning Man is out in the world and mm-hmm. my first couple of years of actually being part of the organization certainly 96 97 98 when we weren't as well known we spent a lot of time trying to explain to people what we were and who we were yeah. um, a lot then the next sort of set of work we ended up doing was government relations and mm-hmm. uh, really helping counties and local municipalities and then even the feds um, because we're on federal government land um, really explain who we are and give people an idea uh, that there's a real organization behind it and that the participants, the intention of the participants um, is very celebratory and is not really intended to um, break rules or break laws that we're uh, really gathering to enjoy ourselves. And that it's an experiment right. in temporary community. That's, that's been the bulk of our efforts over the years. And then the other uh, challenge we certainly have um, would be, you know, part of what you're referencing, the challenge is to do the storytelling around the intention for the culture and the mm-hmm. results that you can, you will see with the 10 principles in place. And the there is an ongoing dialogue, really, with the community and the outside world on the values uh, that are produced out of Burning Man. And you, right. you're making a reference to uh, the change um, in the types of people that come to Burning Man. Yeah. So for quite some time, I've been attending since 1995, and the tech community started showing up. And previous right. to that, the artists said, "Well, they they were artists and they weren't techies." And why are the were the why were the techies here? Um, and then the techies uh, and the artists. producing their uh, art and their uniqueness. And then uh, people were coming from different parts of the country. And then we saw um, those with money being able to come to Burning Man. And I think it's not fair for people to really make assumptions that uh, because you have money, that doesn't mean that you're participating. It's a really uh, unfair assumption to be making. There is a conversation around though, what you do, if you have a nice camp and whether the, uh, environment and arrangements in your camp actually allow for people to, um, to be getting the proper experience. That's the question is the camp and the people in the camp. Are they engaging at a level that really brings about burning man culture?
0: Right. You had a issue that really heated up and got a lot of press uh, this past year after uh, I think it was someone who was a, actually a paid worker at one of the high end exclusive camps, uh, you know, wrote an essay on Facebook about her negative experience working for the camp. And in the article I read, uh, Burning Man founder Larry Harvey was quoted as saying it would be a shame to waste a good crisis. Uh, so I mean, have you guys been able to take this quote unquote, you know, crisis and, and, you know, learn and adapt to prevent a a sort of a repeat experience within that particular instance?
1: Yeah, of course. I mean, pretty much everything that happens at Burning Man is an organic evolution. And sometimes we're very aware of the next problem or crisis, um, but we're in a position of putting uh, did making decision and putting it in place in order to reveal what the situation is. And we did that in 2012 when, it, when we used a ticket model that looked like a lottery. We nice. were aware that we were reaching a capacity, but if we had implemented the programs and the processes we have right now, people would have screamed. So we implemented the one that was definitely not going to work, but it was the only one that was possible in a logical chain of events. We have watched the, Change in the type of people that come to Burning Man. I don't want to use the word demographic, but it is a demographic. And mm-hmm. we're not going to get in front of certain things and force issues. We are going to nurture the process so that we're going to get. We're all going to get the best results. Burning Man is again an experiment and temporary community, and we're the stewards for that process. Absolutely. So of course, there's many lessons learned from that crisis, and they are. There are different things being implemented this year. We are uh, managing the process that we have for uh, outside vendors, which are, we call outside services. Those Mm -hmm. are the different types of services that are necessary for a large camp to survive. That includes special, sometimes toilet pumping. It means food. It means electricity. So if we can uh, be aware of who is coming and going to do those services, Uh, That tends to lead us right to camps that uh, have more resources than a normal camp. And we're doing other things to facilitate the improvement of the performance of those camps, including placement. We didn't place Mm -hmm. and won't be placing any camps that aren't expressing and exhibiting their productivity as participants.
0: Right, right. Now, is it something that is from, you know, your, your perspective, if one of these large camps is, has paid workers, is that something that is, you know, okay from, you know, the Burning Man organization's perspective, or is that something that, you know, is, it shouldn't be done.
1: I don't quite understand why there's such an outcry with people being paid in a camp. Mm-hmm. Uh, again, it's, It's about what the results are from the camp. It wouldn't be possible for my camp to exist without people that are paid to help put up the shade structure. I'm not physically able to support and build a camp myself. And most people in my camp actually are running the Burning Man event. So we rely on other people who have taken time away from their other jobs uh, to come together to form the DPW. So the DPW are actually building the majority of the infrastructure for the organization it's it should be seen though that a a camp that's working together whether someone's paid or not the membership in the camp should actually feel more like a group and like a team like a family like a a a camp really than those that are staff versus guests uh that's the that's the format that isn't productive. It can't be a an us and them sort of thing.
0: It makes total sense. It's it cost a lot to do all the things that are being done out there. So it's kind of like drawing imaginary lines in the sand, saying, "Okay, you can spend money here, but you can't spend money there." It's uh, right. You know, it,
1: right? It really is. I mean, it's a really interesting dialogue about. W- Where does money fit into the process? And then to understand that Burning Man, the culture that is Burning Man can really flourish with the best use of money, whether it's to the nonprofit, um, whether it's uh, to build large pieces of art, whether it's to help fund the temple, whether it's to build very beautiful interactive art cars or bring musicians to your camp. What I think we're trying to get people to do is to reflect on what it means to be part of the community and what, where does your membership fit in? So if you're paid to help set up a camp, or maybe you're paid to help maintain the plumbing because you know, plumbing and you've stepped away from your plumbing job and you have to set up the camp and you're helping set up the kitchen and you're breaking it down and your camp says, Hey, you know, our camp fees enable us to give you $2000 cuz you stepped away from your job you're you've got your own business um, right. you know that's right. not even weeks that's not enough to really compensate you but we recognize that 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 your services are valuable and we want to make sure that you have some but that person should still sit at the same dinner table with other people that person shouldn't be considered staff versus the guests. that's that's where it gets messy that's where That's a girl- distinction That's a distinction. And that's where the girl didn't feel like she was being treated right. It wasn't just about money. It was really about treatment.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And I think that's easy to... Uh, kind of assume that sort of thing might go on, especially if you're dealing with some very wealthy uh, founder of a particular theme camp. And you know, then you have one person coming forward and saying that. And of course, that then snowballs into, okay, this is the way it is with all these camps that are sort of elaborate and there's someone with a lot of money somehow behind it. They're all treating their people as as slaves or what have you. And it it gets blown up into this big thing. So uh, I I can see-
1: Yeah. One thing that people should think about that I think is pretty interesting and and you wouldn't know unless you're sort of in the middle of it. And then people I think will come to realize it over the next couple of years. It really is an organic process. And so are the lessons that camp leadership have over this. So I, I do, and I'm familiar with some of the the leaders in the camps and camp leadership comes in a couple of different forms. My theories are that sometimes you have uh, a creative genius that has an idea for a type of camp. Sometimes Mm -hmm. you have a, a funder that helped found the camp. And sometimes you have an administrator that really is good at logistics and helps run the camp. And those three different types of things are rarely all one person, but sometimes they are. It's typically maybe three different people. Sometimes it's two with the, with the qualities and From my relationship with different people, what they're saying is they may have been generous the first time and uh, had a a large amount of money that they wanted to generously donate uh, into their camp so that their friends could come um, and bring a significant other or two or three friends. But it's pretty typical that that without the right kind of acculturation and engagement, that the Folks in the camp start demanding and requiring and requesting different uh, services or needs or to have their bike fixed. And the leader of the camp finds themselves a little frustrated that what they first experienced or what they wanted from people wasn't happening naturally. So they they spend the second year trying to figure out how to encourage people to be more self-reliant. And they might uh, find an experienced burner to help them lead the camp. They might contact the organization or the theme camps and and interact with other theme camps or the placement department and ask for advice. Uh, Our placement folks have a couple of open roundtables each year um, where they do Q&As and and give people some tips and hints to be a successful camp. Uh, And then the third year, and this is what I've seen for a number of different groups, they choose more carefully who they invite into their camp. And may ask for a nominal donation that really has the friends understand that they are contributing and that they're not just, it's not just a free ride. And then I know of several camps where the leaders put the so called guests um, through some sort of process to really get them to engage, whether they do a kitchen shift or they help line up the bikes or they run a talking uh, or a talks. Um, Or they maybe get involved in the logistics of people coming and going. But this is a real sort of cycle that I've seen. I haven't yet seen a camp that really can maintain the same kind of uh, the generosity and also have really productive results uh, by those that are participating in it.
0: Yeah, it's a slippery slope. So (laughs) now from my perspective and others I've talked to, uh, you know, a few years ago, the the police presence seemed to suddenly increase and get more aggressive. And now it seems to have really evened out and law enforcement seems a bit mellower. Uh, Can we expect it to stay this way in the future?
1: Well, uh, you know, I I think law enforcement is a direct response uh, to a number of factors. One would be certainly that the law enforcement officers are accustomed to to what's what's really happening at Burning Man, and uh, we've certainly been doing our part in trying to educate the participants about the expectations for law enforcement, and those are pretty important aspects. When things get uh, over a little overreaching, you certainly find that the citations that happen will maybe the type of citations get changed in the the process um, afterwards. So we we try to keep an eye on that and do our part with government relations and have a fairly engaging conversation about what really is real. Last year, two years ago, participants were ticketed quite a bit for uh, coming onto the playa with their bicycles, obscuring the license plates of cars. That seemed a bit much. Right. And most of those citations were changed after the fact. And that's an indication that the citations were probably not really necessary. Mm -hmm. I think that we'll see a fairly fair engagement with law enforcement this year. And I would certainly hope it would stay like that working into the future.
0: Yeah. And I, I I think it's, as we've discussed, it's it's really a city. It's an operating city. So if someone has the idea that they can just you know start smoking a joint in front of a uh, <laughs> law enforcement, that's probably not a good idea. So uh, yeah, you, it's
1: eight days. You know, it's not like your typical festival, which is two or three days, and everybody sort of lights up a joint and you know watches a band and that stuff is done discreetly. And law enforcement officers have a different. Uh, level of engagement at your typical festival, either your day festival or even your three or four night festival. We're really, it partners with law enforcement. We have very few crimes against persons at Burning Man. And I believe partly that's the nature of the individuals. And I also think that that's the nature of uh, the expectations we've placed for people to be in a large civilized environment and to be looking out for each other. There, people get a little relaxed and yes, they'll be standing right near a law enforcement officer and light up a joint. And the law, <laughs> office, law enforcement officer really has no choice. Uh, right. to to the person Typically they'll ask them to put it out and they'll take it away. And if the person gets belligerent and then they go through their bag or their backpack, that's when you might see a citation. And that's why I usually try to really respect the fact that law enforcement is there and And not sort of flaunt anything uh, in front of him, particularly pot.
0: Right, right. Now this year there has been concerns uh it seems like the community always finds something to be concerned about right (laughs) And this year there's been concerns about uh you know electronic dance music somehow being marginalized or or banned uh due to i guess there's a a new deep uh deep playa music zone for for mutant vehicles that play loud music um you also had of course you know one of the longtime sound camps not getting placement uh, opulent temple and and uh and then of course you you guys putting out a request, uh, to theme camps and, and mutant vehicles that feature music not to announce headliners. Can you, you want to take a moment and kind of clear the air on the idea that burning sure. Man is in some way against EDM? <laughs> sure.
1: Yeah. Let's talk about, there's actually four things to go over. One is that the dance tronauts were not invited back this year.
0: Oh, right. Yeah. Yeah.
1: That one, they were given warning, uh, they were given warning as far back as uh, 2013 and the, their primary reason for not having them back for 2015 was they were told to take a year off. They had violated enough uh, of what had been requested of them that it was, um, it was time that they take a year off. And we really have to be able to enforce our rules uh, with the cars and the camps. And sometimes that means if you don't take responsibility for your own behavior, then you need to take the consequences and we have a right Right. to do that. And that's what we expect from other people is to follow the rules. If we didn't enforce them, other people would take advantage of them. Uh, Absolutely. Temple chose not to apply as a music camp. I'm friends with Sid Griss and he definitely made it very clear to me that they did apply, but they did not apply as a music camp. I did see their application, as I saw other applications, and they had no specific interactivity for their camp in their initial application. They didn't. They were suggesting that their goal was to be have have a mobile uh, interactivity, but they wanted to have a hundred of their you know campmates a given placement. And again, that just seems unfair to a camp that might have right. any number of people asking for placement and having more interaction than that, but still not maybe enough to be interactive by most Mm -hmm. standards. So the placement folks this year, so that's a placement issue, not a music issue. Uh, The placement folks this year did not place 105 camps. And that's, that's not, you know, insignificant. That means a number of groups of people that may have come before or may have not that are organizing themselves won't get, placement ahead of time and the reasons for that are usually a combination of things but primarily related to interactivity you need to be interactive to be given placement that's the whole point of placement right so those two those two situations were really related to uh, making the bar uh, reaching the bar and or following the rules uh, in the case of the dancer knots the You mentioned the dance, the zone, the music zone. Yeah, right. Right. So this is an interesting one. This is a year of trying out a new idea. This is why we're organic. The there's been feedback from different quarters, and often it's the quarters that are going to be the quietest because they come and they give us the feedback. And this has been feedback off and on for a couple of years, and the feedback has been related to uh, the. Groups that may circle their wagons and play music, in some cases, sit in one spot for 12 hours, and that that's too long in the open playa. So that's the primary issue. If you're going to sit in one spot and turn your sound in any direction, including back towards the camp, and it dis- disrupts those in the city, That's just not acceptable. Right. There is a boundary that uh, the sound cars are told about, and they're also told that they need to turn their speakers out into the open playa. Last year, more than one occasion, and I'm one of the people that was awakened at 3 o'clock in the morning by the sound of thumping music, and when I got into my cart and went out, I found the car was facing its speakers towards camp, and it was past the man, and it walked me. And I'm telling wow. you, my trailer was vibrating. And I wasn't the only person. Several of us came out of our trailers shocked and couldn't understand. <laughs> I've been doing this for 19 years. Yeah. So we went to the ranger station, and it was an art car. It was a loud art car, and it wasn't following the rules. So the goal with this is actually to make the spot official, for some of the ca- the cars that want to sit still for more than three hours. Now, if a car wants to sit in a group for three hours, that spot does not apply. They can sit for three hours, and then when they're done with their music, then they can move on. It really is not about the music. It's about the movement and the location. And the purpose right. of art cars, art cars are, are to move. Art cars are not stages that go and set up for 12 hours. And everything's been dangerously close to that. And we'd like to just see if there's a way to reach an agreement about where you put yourself, if it's near art, where the toilets are, so that there's not a lot of human refuse. One of the biggest problems that you can even ask the folks with Robot Heart that they find, people can't find their bikes, they can't find their backpacks, and they use the playa as a toilet. Right. That's not Robot Heart's fault, that's the participants' fault. So we're hoping that the participants are going to take this as an opportunity to use the location that's been designated for the long-term dancing beyond the three or four hours. And there'll be toilets. And it's a location that if you leave your bike, you'll know where that spot is, you can go back to. And that's the primary purpose for that spot.
0: Yeah, that makes a ton of sense. I mean how i don't see once someone actually understands the logic behind it you know uh, and a lot of times with these sorts of issues it is a lack of understanding right i mean yep. you're, you're trying to create a designated area for people who want to you know have uh, those deep playa experiences and loud music you know at all hours uh, blasting and of course having a, a place to go find your bike again and know where it's at and to actually be able to use the toilet when you're that yep. far out these are good yep. things so yes. i think it's yes. just no, important to clarify. out
1: there for sure that that's one that's been one of the plans and we don't really want to have it too close because of the sound issue, but we'd also don't want to see little blue toilets and a little ring. So we, they they chose the location uh, while talking with robot heart. Uh, The organization originally had a different location and actually responded directly to robot hearts request for it to be moved. And it was moved. Uh, It's, it's supposedly big enough for more than one group to be there but we'll see. I think that this is also an opportunity for the art cars that want to sit still for that length of time to actually uh, coordinate with each other. But I have right. found that it's primarily Robot Heart that enjoys the long term, uh, you know, sitting still. Um, and so we'll see. We have made no commitment to do it beyond this year. Let's see which problems we solve and which new ones come up, and and take a look at it again for 2016.
0: Makes a ton of sense to me.
1: Yeah, thanks.
0: Now, there's always a lot of grumbling about the time it takes to enter and exit BlackRock City. Is there any chances of this process being improved upon?
1: Well, the grumblings that we got last year weren't um, as much about the line to get through the gate, but it was about will call. Mm-hmm. The line to get through the gate has remained somewhat the same uh, between three to four hours for the last couple of years. And so mm-hmm. the gate staff, uh, aim for that, that seems to be by most of our polling and our own experiences at a three to four hour wait to get to the gate, uh, it is, is probably tolerable. It's when it reaches six or more that we yeah. don't, we find that there's a lot of restlessness and that we don't really think that six is an acceptable wait time. And last year when it was compounded on top of problems with the will call process in the box office, that meant and then that rain and it rained. And the rain <laughs> the, and the rain was its own, you know, its own situation. Yeah, I can't there do were, anything about well, that. I know it was crazy. It, people waited 16 to 24 hours to get into Burning Man. Wow. Uh, it's, the, you know, it's a fact of nature and a fact of life. Uh, it's been drizzling up there uh, early this year. It's been drizzling during the, the, the setup that they were. Today is the day that they're going to put up the fence and it's, it's, they've had rain during the survey. So, uh, there's a good chance, so we'll see that again. People should just be prepared for that possibility.
0: Bring your but bring your rain boots. Because,
1: well, we've done a lot of work with the Will Call folks. Have uh, took a real hard look at what you know was their responsibility, and we made more Will Call uh, or send it home available for international folks. That was pretty significant. They could pay to, to have guaranteed delivery overseas, which we hadn't done before, and we. Yes, we have more staff and we have more windows, but that typically isn't the only solution. We needed to actually make sure things were sent out. So our uh, mailing, we waited until after the Oh My God sale. I believe mm-hmm. that the, most of the Oh My God tickets can be mailed out. Step tickets are still at will call and some other categories of tickets are at will call. But we moved the date for mailing back so that we could actually, a couple of thousand more could get uh, mailed out rather than will call. So I believe the team is reducing that will call, I think by as much as 50% to make that work more smoothly.
0: Great. That sounds really good. Yeah. Now I hear rumors from, oh, you know, yeah, time, thing, time you to time.
1: Yeah. The other thing I want to point out is, uh-huh. you know, we've, we've talked a lot about growth and size and we can't get bigger unless we solve some of these problems and one of them particularly the the you know getting into the event and one of them is related to traffic and people carpooling and using air travel and then the burner express we started the burner express and the car passes that make people crazy in order to really get people to be more conservative about how they arrive and I know it's hard But people have to take a, let's get creative. We all need to get creative together in order to be able to grow. And that's going to include not just the gate and the will call, but the participants to take into consideration how they get there in what form in order to make it easier for us all to arrive at the same time.
0: Right. Right. Yeah. It's, it's something that I think you kind of a constant theme to go back to is, you know, everyone needs to keep in mind, this is, this is an, Amazing event and experience, but it also takes some sacrifice and trying to problem solve. And you know, there are some things that are going to challenge you. And, and if you have to work harder to figure out how to carpool with your friends so that the event can run more smoothly, then that—that that is what it is. And you know, there are no problems, only solutions, right? So I think yeah, people would just focus yeah. more on that.
1: Absolutely. I mean, it really is a math problem in some ways. Some folks might be filling their cars up, and they say, "Well, it's so full, I can't have another person in it." But I know that many, 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 many camps use either containers or large trucks or box vans. And I think it's a real exercise in people thinking about how they're bringing themselves to Burning Man. So if you're able to put as much as you can in the truck, then you might have room for two or three people in your car. And what you guys are bringing is an overnight bag and and your food and water because you're meeting the truck there. We really need to have everybody uh, look at that so that we can be able to expand the event.
0: Great, great. Now, I I hear rumors from time to time about the event potentially getting shut down or relocating. Is there any possibility of Bernie Man... Relocating. I mean, I know you had the lawsuit with uh, Pershing County, Nevada there in 2013 that was settled. And is that something that helps to ensure a long future in Black Rock City?
1: No, no, not really. I mean, the the problem with the county was a, a, a belief that they would also be able to levy fees on us for the same services that we were already paying for with the feds. Uh, you can't do that. So we had to work our way through that, and there were some other details to it. But that was the foundation of it. The I think the biggest danger right now to Burning Man is the fact that the state of Nevada has levied a entertainment tax, and mm-hmm. we still believe that we don't fit under a form of entertainment. We're not, mm-hmm. uh, you know, <laughs> frankly, we're not a Las Vegas show. Um, And we're not at a car race um, or concert uh, in a stadium. So we're not happy about what is basically a 9% tax that's going to have to happen on every single person's ticket. We're not able to absorb that. We don't have enough uh, breathing room in our budget to do that. So that's the thing that right now makes us look longingly towards Utah or any other state that might not have levied that. Uh Uh-huh. That's that's the thing that's putting us in the most danger at the moment. We have worked with the BLM and to iron out some things from this year.
0: That's a Bureau of Land Management, correct?
1: That's the Bureau of Land Management, which is a Department of the Interior uh, entity. Uh, Department of Interior, of course, oversees the Park Service too. Right. So uh, Bureau of Land Management lands are typically uh, sort of mining and grazing, and then open recreation. And they were um we were sort of on opposite side of, of the of some issues leading into the summer. And their approach was putting us in a position of costing us uh, another million dollars on top of what it cost us last year. So yeah, we they had, wanted
0: an on site compound or something with uh with if I recall reading with uh, Choco Chaco Tacos on tap. <laughs>
1: right. Isn't that funny that the reporter <laughs> she she sure did her work um, she got a, some documents were leaked that we had been that had been given to us asking for us to to build a separate compound there is a, there is a law enforcement compound outside of the fence but this would have been another compound and they already have a living environment in Gerlach and they have a small living environment outside of the fence and this would have been a third environment. And it would be a duplication of things that are actually available in the town of Gerlach, like washers and dryers. And it has mm-hmm. flush toilets and washer and dryers uh, in a remote location. And the cost is to, for plumbing and water and electricity uh, and a fence, a chain link fence, were really beyond uh, what was reasonable. The other yeah. issue that you're pointing to was related to catering and food. Mm-hmm. And we have a very efficient uh, caterer that uh, takes care of all of the, the eating needs uh, for the staff. And that's the best one for everybody to be using that would be working the event also. But they got it in their heads that they had a list of food items that they wanted to have provided for them and 24-hour snacks. Uh, that took a bit of time, but we've definitely we've rolled that one back also.
0: Great, great. So. Last year, you guys were what, uh, at about 70,000 or 68,000? Is that correct?
1: 68,000 is the cap for the number of participants, and we did not reach that number last year.
0: Okay. Now, I saw an article in USA Today, I believe it was a few months back, that indicated you, you know, you were trying to, and it's something that you mentioned a moment ago, you're you're interested in open to the idea of expanding. And in this particular article, it said, you know, it, it threw out the number 100,000 people. I mean, do you foresee any potential of the you know population continuing to grow uh, to that to that size? Because that is would be a significant increase from where it well, is now.
1: Every year there are more and more people that want tickets. We used to grow every single year. The BLM put a cap on our population. That's not something that we're doing willingly. That's gotcha. related to a permit process. We would have preferred to continue to grow. Uh, we were able to manage it, and we were organically growing between six or eight percent up to twelve to fifteen percent. There were some years, maybe more than ten years ago, where we, where we grew more than that. But we were pretty happy, and we have been pretty happy managing a uh, ten or twelve percent growth. But our five-year permit uh, that we were previously under, and the current five-year permit, the previous one was fifty thousand was the top of the whole permit cycle, which was five years, and the current top is seventy thousand. But that was uh, too high or too low, too early on mm-hmm. in the five-year cycle. So we've actually been trying to negotiate, uh, making the, the kind of modifications that are allowed through the permit process. And that's a it's a pretty challenging and kind of costly process for both the, both the BLM and the organization to go through. It still might happen before we're the end of this cycle. Uh, but we, it takes two years to really get this kind of thing started. So we were already working with engineering firms for the next permit cycle. And mm-hmm. the engineering firms would would go as high as, as we asked them to. At this point, uh, we have not been doing tests um, over 100,000. But you know these are tests that you do with the environment, with uh, queuing, traffic, uh, things like that. And 100,000 is just the next number. We're not sure that if it would be that size, and it certainly would never, ever happen overnight. That's the kind of thing that would have to
0: happen. (laughs) Yeah, probably nothing happens overnight in your world, I would assume. nothing happens. Uh, Now, you've personally been involved with steering the development of the regional burns uh, around the world, which seem to really be increasing and expanding in recent years. How do regional burns play into the long-term vision for the event?
1: Well, the long term vision is to really help the culture happen out in the world beyond Black Rock City. So the burns are the the regional burns are the core of that. We're not just focused on the burns, we're certainly focused on doing civic art in towns and we're definitely focused on encouraging the burners without borders culture. And mm-hmm. the regional burns are a place and an opportunity for both of those endeavors to to show up and be proof of concept. So doing interactive art at the Burns, um, giving people an opportunity to understand what Burners Without Borders is, and engaging the 10 principles sort of real time and not just sort of philosophically. But um, anything more than three days, a three-day event we consider, if if it uses the 10 principles, it has the chance to be a transformative experience. And we've, you know, we're running out of space in the Black Rock Desert, so we are doing everything we can Uh, There are 10,000 people in South Africa, and there were 6,000 people uh, in Israel. And the U.S. events, I think, get as high as uh, 2,500 to 3,000. The largest one is in Austin. Uh, People can explore our website and learn a lot about what they're doing. There's one in Japan, South Korea, uh, New Zealand. And it's really fabulous to, to explore the world and see the culture happening, not just in Nevada, but all around the world.
0: Yeah, it's, it's really fascinating. I've been to a couple of regional burns in, in my area, uh, Los Angeles and San Diego. And uh, of course, you know, above and beyond even the, I guess, sanctioned regional burns, there's been so much inspiration from Burning Man, um, you know, and that's something that I'm curious about. What what do you think of the the you know ever growing festival culture that is? It's obvious they've been inspired by Bernie Mani. I mean, there's some differences with, as you mentioned earlier, with vendors and and paying acts and so forth. But um, what are your thoughts on some of these uh, events that obviously are influenced but not necessarily you know applying all ten principles?
1: Well, I mean, for me, anything that works towards bringing people together. And giving them an opportunity to learn about each other and communicate with each other and treat each other well is a positive and really important thing. The festival culture has definitely grown and matured over the last probably 15 years. And certainly we've seen a lot more micro festivals coming up um, even the last five years. Some people may think that Burning Man's affected that. I would probably guess that just festival culture in general, and it has been quite flush in in Europe, and Germany, and Holland, and England, um, and maybe you could say it's pretty flush in Australia. It wasn't as flush twenty five years ago in the United States at all, and we still have we've got Coachella and Bonnaroo and Burning Man as being events that are all more than forty five thousand. I don't think there's any others that are over 40, 45,000. Of course, those are uh, 60, 70, 80, 100, depending on uh, which day you're looking at Coachella. And yeah. that certainly happens twice. I think it's a really noble endeavor for anybody to want to bring people together in a, in a festival environment. A day, The daytime festivals, your music daytime festivals, they're certainly fun I don't think that they have the opportunity to really give people um, yeah. a transformative perspective into how they fit and work with others. I think the overnight opportunities are the ones where you, you know, you you go to sleep. You have to be quiet. You you wake up. You you know you you're carrying your toothbrush to, down to the, the showers, and you say hi to people. And someone you know drops their towel, and you say, "Hey, buddy!" Instead of so just stepping over it, um, <laughs> right? You know, and you keep the area outside your tent clean because the guy right next to you keeps. The area. It's not his tent clean. And that's all common courtesy. I think it's really important to encourage festival culture and gatherings and group community endeavors. The world is not you know, producing fewer people. We're producing more. Yeah. And it's a very important life skill to engage kindly with others and compassionately. And the festival culture's that are coming in different directions. The lessons that I think people get from Burning Man are deeply related to how you treat other people. And I'm hopeful that more of the overnight festivals are able to give that sort of familial community feeling in order so that people leave and they go home and they treat each other better and not just at the festivals.
0: Absolutely. Now, as you mentioned, uh, Burning Man is an experiment in temporary community, and, and that's very safe to say. Um, within the transformational festival community, you hear a lot of talk about you know, people wanting to create, kind of step it up a notch and create permanent village infrastructures or eco-villages. Uh, what, I'm very curious on what your thoughts or interest level is in that. I mean, has this ever been considered as an avenue to pr- pursue with, within the Burning Man organization? I'm not quite sure what you're asking. Well, um, you know, I, you hear a lot of talk about people saying, wow, this is an amazing event for th- three days, four days in, in Bernie Man's case, you know, a full week. How do we do this long term? How do we, you know, keep these structures set up? How do we stay, you know, uh, and, and create little, you know, little villages of people that want to actually dedicate their life, you know, instead of a week, you know all year long. Is that something that you've, you know, heard much about or, or ever considered or giving, you know, any consideration to?
1: Well, sure. So there's a couple of different ways you can look at that. One is I I don't think it's practical to, uh, to actually do what happens at Burning Man to do that long-term. I just don't think it's practical.
0: Yeah. It would have to be somewhat different, obviously.
1: Right. So, so then what is it you're really looking for? Well, I think people are looking for, to be living amongst others that share their values exactly um, that they're willing to negotiate their needs with together and that they care for and might look out for. Um, and I think that that can be done in, in different ways. There's, there are definitely people in different parts of the country buying property, um, sizes from, you know, a hundred acres to 7,000 acres and more. That's, I would say is certainly a movement to being able to create governance and Rules and connectivity that are productive and happier than you might feel in a town of strangers um, in a neighborhood where you don't quite know who's across the street or in a building where someone downstairs makes noise and you've got to call the cops. Uh, The behaviors that we typically have in, in urban and even suburban environments don't take into account the group because we're not, yeah. just, we're just not setting up those structures. So I think it's a natural outcome of a very productive environments like Burning Man, and, and Burning Man is I think very influential in people right now wanting to buy pieces of property um, to For be sure. able to house you know twenty five people or even a uh, hundred people or more. From my standpoint and from the organization standpoint, we're not chasing that dream. That's not what. I think is the most productive way to scale the culture. Mm -hmm. I think the regionals and the relationships and the conversation around what is Burning Man, what's the culture and how it can create change using different tools is the purpose for the organization. That doesn't mean that we aren't interested though in a, a center, the physical space that would be dedicated to the contemplation of that that mm-hmm. could be dedicated to uh, arts, uh, that could be set as an example of how to engage, but our interests don't currently lie in actually setting up any communities as an experiment. We're more interested in sort of practical, philosophical uh, architecture to, to encourage it um, rather than reproduce it.
0: Yeah, I would say it's safe to say you've got your hands uh, more than full with what you're doing. So yeah, I mean, we,
1: we're we're a fan of physical space. Um, don't get me wrong, and I frankly think that for the long term survival of the culture, that we are going to need physical space. We're going we're going to need a spot that people can consider um, a a location that. Uh, honors the, the the long-term survival of the experience but i don't see that as a place where you would circle it with long-term houses right. and chores for the community i would see it probably more as a center where people could come and go that it mm-hmm. could have a, it'd be more porous like Mm -hmm. Black Rock City is, that it's not exactly the same all the time. I don't really want to build a village uh, with ownership. That doesn't appeal to me. I think we will, as time goes by, find it challenging to only be in the Black Rock Desert. We may need to find a place that would allow for infrastructure uh, so that we could have a, a firm grip on on what it is we're doing for the longer term and not just have an office in San Francisco. And I'm, and I'm certain that it's in, it's in our future.
0: Yeah. Th- that makes a lot of sense. It kind of an in between, I think is, you know, where it's transient, where people can come and go. So it's not this ownership and this is my plot of land and this is my, yeah. you know, so it allows for a lot of people to have the experience year round uh, yet it's, you don't get uh, pigeonholed into this is my, my yard, stay off of it kind of thing. Yep.
1: Yeah. That's my theory. Yep. Yeah.
0: Yeah. I, I think that's, that makes a lot of sense. Um, now you've mentioned a few times, uh, thrown out the word transformation. I mean, do you consider Burning Man to be an event that intends to create a, a transformational experience for attendees?
1: Well, we're maintaining it so that it will. It you know it started very naturally and organically, but when it began to when you put certain things in place and you keep for instance in 1996 there was somebody in the center of camp that sold burgers. Oh really? Right. And in 1997 there was also a little stand that that sold water and suntan lotion, and those were allowed. (laughs) They happened to have been by the same person, but that was stopped when we realized that that was just. Opening a can of worms of, uh, and it was not going to be a productive. Frankly, some of the things we've done are things that we don't want to maintain, leave no trace. Who wants to clean up after other people? So yeah. we, we saw that that existed by an organization that teaches people backcountry ethics. And we started using those words saying, well, you pack it in, you pack it out, which again are backcountry ethics used by uh, the Department of the Interior. So we've been been adopting practical ways to keep people connected with each other, looking out for each other, looking out for the land, working together, but being themselves and being creative. We all know that creative, not everybody knows, but my experience has been that creativity and self-expression can be very productive ways to get in touch with who you are. But if you do it sort of all on your own and you just sort of act out, you're just going to end up being a clown. But if you do it in, in the, the way it engages with other people, and you're creative in who you are, and uh, you may—it's the gift of yourself. Uh, I think with the with all the ten principles together, we've found that that produces a transformative environment. So we're stimulating that, we're encouraging it, and nurturing it, and stimulating it.
0: Right, right. Now, as one of the most unique burners of all (laughs) what's a perfect day like for Marion on the playa?
1: Well, there's nothing, uh, really unique about me, except that I happen to be at the right place at the right time. And I get to oversee this magical event and facilitate it with a group of wonderful, fabulous collaborators. I consider myself an administrator and a super, super lucky person. Um, I'm not a highly costumed person. I'm usually so busy I barely can put a costume on. One of the most unique things about me is I have a cat car that some people see. It's been on the playa for about 10 years. It's a furry, super furry cat car. And uh, I've got friends that like to drive it around more than I do because it's so cute. People stop it all the time, and then I get... Uh, I don't get to go off where I want to be. My perfect perfect Burning Man's have been, um, I help oversee First Camp, which is sort of the, it's the ambassadorial White House type location on the playa for the organizers. Uh, Five out of the six original founders uh, live there together with a number of the senior leadership for the event and for the organization. And then we invite friends uh, that we've met while we travel um, and people that we want to camp with us, and I oversee the building of that camp. And that's lately been the most rewarding thing for me is to host people in my mini environment, um, our mini camp. But sort of my gift back to my coworkers is to help make them comfortable and uh, make sure that their their friends have a spot to camp. And so that's my perfect Burning Man. My perfect Burning Man is to hang out in my camp meet new people that come to visit and um, maybe have a cocktail or two and, and hopefully, uh, you know, really get to sit back and and enjoy the really unique characteristic of something that I've been part of for 19 years now.
0: Yeah. Wow. That's, that's an, quite an incredible journey that you've had. And as you said, uh, you know, uh, I, I guess, I don't know if I believe in luck fully, but uh, if there is such a thing, uh, you certainly are lucky. I would say you've created the circumstances for yourself by being who you are, and you yeah. know you've done an amazing, amazing job. And this has been really fascinating to uh, have the opportunity to you know pick your brain and, and get an idea of what it looks like from from the unique uh, seat that you sit in. So, thank you so much for taking thank the time you. to talk with me today. Yeah. And I, I want to leave you with one one short question. It's one I always like to put my guest on the spot and ask uh, in sixty seconds or less. What is the meaning of life according to Marian Goodall?
1: You know, I'll tell you. I I'm I'm stretched by the people that continue to, to talk about uh, the meaning of life as being love, and I would say that I'm not quite in that same boat. Although I think that's a very important. Thing that we should be um, finding our, our heart space for. I do think the meaning of life is to take the opportunities we have to be on this planet at this time and to find ways to engage with other people so that you're working outside of yourself, that you're not self-absorbed, but you're aware of others and that you might be making their, their lives a little more enjoyable by the way in which you show up and present yourself in the way that you communicate. I genuinely think that if everybody looked at themselves a little bit differently and how they floated in the world and they imagined beyond their own concerns, I think that that's the purpose. I think that we're all here, whether we, we haven't really chosen to be here or not. And whether we have a short or long lifespan, giving some purpose to how we engage with other people is a pretty rewarding Way to, to go about it and i'm certain is part of why my life has been more enjoyable because burning man has certainly put me in that position
0: Wonderful, wonderful. Yeah, the the theme this year carnival of mirrors it, it, In what you just said makes me think of a, a saying that i'm very fond of everywhere you go You're there waiting for you And if you think about life in those terms as you know How can I benefit these other people that i'm bumping up against that are really a reflection of self, right?
1: Exactly. Exactly. Now, Brandon, you wanted to ask me about serendipity and, uh, and some of your feelings about paranormal activity, right?
0: Ah, yeah, yeah. As, as my listeners know, I'm a big fan of stories of synchronicity, serendipity, or a positive paranormal experience. Do you, do you have a story like that you'd like to share?
1: I'll tell you, um, I don't have one story because it happens to me so often, Uh, I think the thing that the example that I think the thing about Burning Man that really strikes people, and I'm sure you've had them yourself, is that once you're in a a place and a location where everybody's open to chance and Mm -hmm. serendipity and synchronicity, it happens more often.
0: Absolutely.
1: It happens at Burning Man so frequently that it freaks people out. And I think that what I wanted to say was that it can happen outside of Burning Man, but you have to open yourself up to it. And if you sort of listen to your instinct and you're aware, again, of people around you, things like serendipity and synchronicity will absolutely flow and they're very rewarding. It's very rewarding to feel connected to others or or that you were thinking of someone and the same thing happened or you were wondering about that blue balloon you had as a child and suddenly one floats in front of you. Absolutely. I think that those are really heart opening experiences. And the only paranormal one I think that I could talk about without going into a lot of detail is that... I think what happens when you gather so many people together like you do at Burning Man at one time, you are calling in very positive experience. And the last burn that we usually have at Burning Man on Sunday night has a lot of spiritual energy to it.
0: The temple and, burn, yeah.
1: to The temple burn. And I wouldn't say that I can point to any one thing, but for anybody that's ever sat there and watched that burn happen and felt the fire and the release must believe that there are spirits beyond ourselves that they're doing positive things for our our lives.
0: Yeah, the the temple burn is truly it's it's such an interesting experience because you go from you know Saturday night being the the burning of the man, which is so celebratory, and you know it's like the the climax of the event, and then on Sunday evening you have the temple burn, which is just you know so so sacred and and you said it well, it's like. It, it, you have to acknowledge that there's something beyond ourselves when you feel the energy of that space and all the uh, open hearts, you know, together that, you know, and of course, a lot of reflection on on loved ones lost and things like that. And yep. it's just a beautiful, beautiful experience. So um, anyone who hasn't been to Bernie Man, I could not encourage you there 's nothing more I could encourage you to do for yourself put it on your bucket let 's do it do it do it it is absolutely incredible experience and Marion thank you so much for taking the time to do this and for everything that you do you really have what you and your team there are doing is creating a you know a container for transformation. And I've seen it firsthand and I've heard countless stories uh, myself uh, from others where, you know, you go, you go to the uh, desert for a week, you come back and there's just something that shifted in you. And I think the more, and it's a good shift. And the more of that, that we can, uh, you know, get out there in the world, uh, the better. So.
1: I agree, Brandon. I agree. I encourage people to go to our website where it says regionals.burningman.org and look at the map. And find something that's near them and connect. They don't have to go to Black Rock City. They can do it in their own homes. And yeah. I hope everybody has a chance to understand what, what Burning Man is because it is a really magical way to look at yourself and the world.
0: Absolutely. Absolutely. Marion, thank you again. and. Thanks, uh well, everyone, that concludes our episode. Marion, it's been really, really great to have you on the show. This truly has uh, been a dream interview for me to get to, you know, speak to the brains behind the scenes of my very favorite uh, event on planet Earth. I really look forward to watching and participating in the next uh, chapters of the Bernie Man story. As for all of you out there listening, remember to subscribe to the Positive Head Podcast on iTunes and give us a good review while you're at it. Also. Also, check out positivehead.com where we have brand new wares and other really cool stuff for you to check out. Otherwise, until next time, remember, as long as you ain't dead, you're already positive ahead. Be well, everyone.